Hello, welcome to another episode of True Crime Time. I'm Megan, still here with my cats in my apartment. They're being really crazy, so if you hear some weird noises, that's what that is. Um, There's not really anything we can do about it. So, I have a few announcements right off the top. Firstly, True Crime Time now has its own Instagram page. After each episode, I'm going to post pictures relevant to the case or killer that I talked about. If you're worried you're going to see something disturbing, don't. Don't worry about it. Um, There's a description detailing what pictures are included in each post, so you can avoid anything you don't want to see. Also, just memes, true crime-related things, blah, blah. Follow uh, True Crime Time, all lowercase letters, on Instagram so you don't miss out. There's a lot of interesting, fun things coming down the line. Secondly, one of my listeners reached out with a suggestion, and I'm totally with it, so I'm bringing it to you, my people. If you or someone close to you have a story about something true crime-related, related? Did I even say that right? Creepy, weird, paranormal, uh, that has happened to you or someone close to you, send it to me. We want to hear all about it. You can DM the True Crime Time page on Instagram and be featured in an episode. You can uh, stay anonymous if you want to. Just let me know when you send it over. And that's a fun thing we can do. Thirdly, unless you live under a rock, you will have noticed that Ted Bundy is trending right now. I started and finished the Ted Bundy tapes on Netflix right after my last episode. Um, The trailer dropped for Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile, which stars Zac Efron, so there's a lot of Ted to be seen and discussed right now. Um, I want to take a moment to address some pushback I've seen on social media and the news and blah blah. People think that these specials and movies on serial killers glorify them and romanticize them. I have a problem with that. I can, I kind of get it a little bit, but the problem is this. People have always thought about serial killers or any kind of murderer as an oddball, someone who stands out because they're strange, someone who's creepy looking and outwardly, you know, gives a bad vibe. A lot of them Ted Bundy in particular were or are charming, narcissistic, manipulative, maybe even good looking by some standards, and really good at disguising themselves and walking among us as contributing members of society. I believe that in order to understand these people in full, we need to understand all of these facets of them, even the parts of them that seemed like they were decent humans, right? Um, That is the only way to really get any um, understanding about how they operate. Now, that's not to say there aren't people who glamorize them or think that they are rock stars, who think that they are hot, they have crushes on them. Let me just tell you something right now. Serial killers aren't hot, except for Dexter. Murderers aren't hot or glamorous. My interest and a lot of people's interest in true crime and in these terrible people lies more in 
fascination in studying them and finding out what are the factors that make these people who they are. Uh, Is it just, you know, what is it that makes them who they are? Why do they do things like this? How do their minds work? So people who are doing things like talking about Ted Bundy or Richard Ramirez or Scott Peterson and saying how they're hot or whatever other ridiculous thing or getting tattoos of Ted Bundy's bite marks on their ass, which is a real thing that happened. I saw it as some kind of twisted like memorial to him. We aren't here for the same reasons. Um, Also, just in addressing why we're giving these these things and these people so much attention in addition to learning about the people who commit these acts think of the good that can come from somebody educating themselves about what these killers are really like they're able to identify similar traits in people around them maybe there are red flags in their relationships Uh, maybe it's someone close to them maybe it's a parent a sibling an aunt an uncle a friend Uh, think of the people who already suffer abuse and think of how maybe the survival stories of people like Carol Durange um, can inspire them to be brave enough to come forward, to reach out to ID their abuser or attacker, to be strong enough to overcome the trauma, and then go on with their lives. That is the real reason for all of this. Um, we want to make sure that we honor, you know, the victims alive and dead. Now, with that being said... I'm going to pull back up that timeline from the last episode of Ted Bundy's Victims, and I'm going to go through each one and what happened. Last time, it was too much to kind of stick into one episode, um, and there's so much interest revolving around this, so I thought, now now's a good time to talk about these women. Um, just remember that even though these are the victims we know for sure that he killed, there are others. There are others they weren't able to completely link to him. Um, so I did my best with this. So just bear with me. But first. Okay, here we go. So 18 year old Joni Lenz is a college student and dancer. She was said to be shy and friendly. On January 5th, 1974, she is sleeping in her basement apartment, which Ted entered. He bludgeoned her with a rod from her metal bed frame, then sexually assaulted her with the same rod, which caused extensive internal injuries. The morning after her attack, her roommates became concerned when she didn't come out of her room all morning, and when they went into her room to check on her, they found her unconscious, with both her hair and face covered in dry blood. Joni was unconscious for 10 days but survived, though she did sustain lifelong mental and physical disabilities from her attack. Linda Ann Healy is a psychology major at the University of Washington. People would describe her as dependable and bright. She was well known, not just for being an all-around good person, but for doing morning weather reports on the radio for skiers, so like forecasting snow, mountain conditions, and so on. Uh, She lived in a house with four other female college students. They had recently heard of the attack on Joni Lenz, and so, I think it's Lenz? Moving on. Um, 
because of that, they were extra cautious. Um, they didn't want anything bad to happen to them or in their house. So on the night or early morning, rather, of her death, which was February 2nd, 1974, Linda had followed her routine and gone to bed as she usually did relatively early. Her roommates came home later and went to bed. At 5.30 a.m., Linda's alarm went off and the girl in the room next to her woke up, having heard um, the alarm going off. She dozed off and when her own alarm went off at 6 a.m., she still heard Linda's going off in the next room. She went in and turned it off, noticing that Linda's bed was made and thought it was a little odd because that was not typical. Linda's boss actually called a while later concerned uh, because she never made it into work. Upon further investigation, her bike was found still in the basement. That's how she usually got to work. Um, The side door was found to be unlocked, Uh, especially with the attack they had all heard about. The girls found this especially alarming. It's been said that she was supposed to make dinner for her parents that night uh, later, and her parents showed up, but still no Linda. The police were finally contacted, and when they searched her bedroom, they found that under the covers, so they pulled back the covers, both the pillow and sheets were heavily bloodstained. They also found her nightgown in the closet with blood crusted onto the neckline. Uh, It was also discovered the clothes she had last um, been seen wearing, those were missing. Unfortunately, her skull was found about a year later with marks consistent with Ted Bundy's MO, which, as you guys are probably familiar with by now, was bludgeoning. So, Donna Manson is a 19-year-old college student, expert flute player, flautist, that's, that's a word, um, and a bit of a free spirit. In the article I read on Murderpedia, it said... Quote, despite her high IQ, she smoked marijuana daily. End quote. I just want to take a quick sidebar and say that has nothing to do with anything. I know plenty of really smart people who do that. Um, and I feel like maybe that was wrote, written in like 1989. Anyway, when she initially went missing, it took six days for her to be reported because apparently... She would occasionally take off just for funsies. On March 12, 1974, she left her residence to walk to a concert on campus at Evergreen State College, but never made it there. Ted confessed to her murder shortly before execution. Her remains, while located, had been found, um, that's what located means, but marked as unidentified prior to his confession. you hear my paper? Sorry. (laughs) So, Susan Rancourt is one of the only blondes that Ted victimized. Described as shy but highly intelligent with dreams of working in medicine, it's been said that she was afraid of the dark and rarely went anywhere alone. Unfortunately, on April 17th, 1974, she went alone to a meeting on campus that ended around 9 She was supposed to meet a friend at the movies, but never made it. Her skull was found later with a severe fracture from... Anyone want to guess? That's right. Being bludgeoned. 
Kathy Parks had been having a terrible week. She was homesick for her family who lived in California. She and her boyfriend had broken up. She had had an argument with her father over the phone. He suffered a heart attack shortly after, um, which she felt like she caused, which is awful and sad, but he would recover on May 6, 1974. She had agreed to meet some friends for coffee. She would never arrive. Her skull was found with the others at Ted's dump site at Taylor Mountain. Ted confessed to her murder shortly before his execution. Brenda Ball went to Flame Tavern by herself. She was not heard from for several days after this. I read almost 19 days. Um, Because she was a free spirit, like Donna Manson, her friends didn't find her disappearance troubling at first because it wasn't unlike her to be gone for periods of time. So uh, she went missing on June 1st, 1974. It's been reported that she was last seen in the parking lot of the flame talking to a man with his arm in a sling. Who could it be? Brendan was a Brenda, sorry, was abducted from Burien, Washington. Hers was the first skull to be found on Taylor Mountain. On June 11, 1974, George Ann Hawkins had been out with a friend to grab a few drinks. Her friend went home um, as George Ann had stopped to say goodnight to her boyfriend and grabbed some Spanish notes to aid her in studying for her Spanish final. Her boyfriend was just six houses away. As she was leaving, a friend called out, a different friend, uh, called out to her through a window and they talked for a few minutes. The friend turned to do something and then stuck his head back out the window, noticing her as she turned the corner. She had maybe about 40 feet to safety, but she never made it. Her roommate became concerned when two hours later, she had not returned. Eventually, she would wake up the house mother. The two of them stayed up waiting for George Ann and called the police in the morning. Hers was one of the murders that Ted confessed to before his execution. While he couldn't remember all the details, what he would remember was absolutely chilling. He said that she had been very trusting and did not hesitate to help when he asked her to assist him with a briefcase. He had been sporting one of his fake casts. He hit her over the head to knock her out and shoved her in the car. And remember from last time, he took out the passenger seat so his victims could lie undetected on the floor. She became conscious before she was killed. She was kind of rambling and confused, I'm sure due to her head injury. Um, She seemed to think that he had been sent to help her study for her Spanish exam, which is just heartbreaking and awful. He knocked her out again strangled her, discarded her body. On June 17th, 1974, Brenda Baker's body is found. Um, They were not able to determine when she had been abducted. Unfortunately, I could not find other information related to the disappearance of Brenda Baker. So, on July 14th, 1974, Sammamish State Park, Janice Ott, Newlywed of a year and a half, kind, educated in psychology, also a probation caseworker. Her job had taken her to Washington. Her husband had stayed in California for the time being. Uh, She had a roommate. 
She left her a note on the date of her disappearance uh, that she would be home around four. She rode her bike to the park as it was a beautiful day out. She was hanging out on a towel, lounging, soaking up the sun, when witnesses say a man in a cast with a friendly and pleasant demeanor asked for her assistance moving his boat. She was more than happy to help, got up and walked away with him. She was pushing her bike, and time was about 12.30. She would never be seen alive again. Denise Nasland, this is the same day now, had been spending time with some uh, friends, her boyfriend and her dog, same park. They had all fallen asleep laying in the sun. Denise woke up around 4.30 p.m. and noticed her dog wasn't with them, so she got up to look for him or her and also find the bathroom. She was spotted in the bathroom, but never made it back to her friends and boyfriend, though her dog did. Her car was discovered untouched, and her purse was still locked in the trunk. Janice and Denise's remains would be found in a wooded area not far from where they disappeared. So fall 1974, that's where he enters law school, remember, so all this stuff was going on during that period of time. And page turn. So... Sorry, guys, just making sure I have the right page for you. Great. So October 2nd, 1974. uh, In Nancy Wilcox's case, there aren't a ton of details, but here's what we do know. She was only 16. She was last seen riding in a VW that looked exactly like Ted's. She was sexually assaulted and murdered. Her body has never been recovered. That is one um, that Ted also confessed to. October 18th, 1974, Melissa Smith, 17, is from a small Mormon town in Utah. She was the daughter of the Midvale police officer. Her and her siblings were taught to be self-aware and pay attention to their surroundings. So even at her young age, she knew what to look out for. On October 18th, she went to meet a friend at a pizza parlor, and when she left, she headed home to pick up clothes for a sleepover. She was to attend later that night. She didn't make it home or to the party. She was found nine days later, bludgeoned, battered, strangled, raped, and sodomized. Ted confessed before his execution. October 31st, 1974, Laura Amy is a 17-year-old girl who is described on Murderpedia as a drifter, but I personally think that gives the wrong impression of her. We are going to call her a free spirit. She was searching for something, so she would just kind of blow around with the breeze. She lived with friends. She worked a series of little crappy jobs. She spoke with her parents every day. On Halloween 1974, she went to a cafe, got bored with what was going on there, and decided to leave around midnight. It's been said she was headed to a park. She was found a month later, her face brutalized beyond recognition. She had no clothes on. She had been strangled, beaten, and sexually assaulted. Ted confessed before his execution to this one as well. On 11-8-1974, 18-year-old, intensely shy, Carol Durange was approached by Ted Bundy at a mall in Utah. Only he identified himself as a police officer and gave a different name. He told her that they 
had apprehended someone trying to break into her car and asked her if she could come back to the car with him to see if anything was missing. She agreed and noticed nothing else was missing. He asked if she would come down to the station to make a report. And again, she agreed, but she admitted she was getting a weird vibe from him. She thought maybe even smelled a little alcohol. Um, He showed her a badge and it looked legit. So, you know, she did wonder about his car. Um, Again, the notorious VW Beetle, but she thought maybe he was just undercover. So Carol got in the car with him. They went down a few side streets, but her internal alarm started really going off when he just suddenly pulled up on a curb by an elementary school. He grabbed her and tried to handcuff her. He succeeded, but only in getting one of the cuffs on one of her wrists. He pulled a gun on her and told her, I'll blow your head off. Carol was just like, not today, MFR. Somehow was able to get the passenger door open and get out. Ted came out after her and they fought in the street. She broke all of her nails as she fought for her life which is a small price to pay. But Al, Ted was trying to bludgeon her right there on the street, but very lucky for Carol, a car was coming. Um, Seeing Ted distracted for a moment, she took the time to break away and make a run for it. She basically threw herself into the vehicle that was passing, all the while the handcuffs still dangling from her wrist. Carol not only survives but went on to ID him in a police lineup and would later testify for the prosecution in court, even cruelly being subjected to Ted himself questioning her as he was appointed his own co-counsel uh, for some ridiculous reason. Carol definitely belongs in the badass survivor hall of fame. Cut to later that day, sweet and kind Debbie Kent left a play at her high school or a local high school to pick up her brother and sadly never made it to her car. Uh, The parking lot where her car was um, and presumably where she had been abducted from was searched and a single key was found. That key just happened to fit the handcuffs that had been slapped on Carol Durange earlier that day. Debbie's body was never found and Ted waited until right before his execution to confess to killing her. Uh, January 12th, 1975 now, Karen Campbell is a kind, compassionate RN on vacation with her boyfriend uh, and his two children in Aspen, Colorado. It's been said that her boyfriend, who also worked in the medical field, um, was there. They were going to attend a medical seminar on the same trip, but they decided to have some fun while they were gone. I can dig it. Uh, That night after dinner, Karen and the gang were settling into the lounge in the hotel, and she realized she forgot a magazine she wanted to read back in the room, so she went to get it, um, and unfortunately, she would never return. When she didn't come back after a while, her boyfriend went to check on her and didn't find her in the room. He soon contacted police, and Karen's body would be found about a month later in a snowdrift off the road, battered and bloody. It's also been said that she um, more than likely had been raped. So you can see these, you know, he's pretty consistent about how he's going about all of this. Um, March 15th, 1975, sweet and kind part-time ski instructor 
Julie Cunningham had a history of falling for the wrong type. Amen, sister. She wasn't having the best week. She had just broken up with her latest boyfriend. Uh, She called and talked to her mom a bit, then headed out to a tavern, as one does after a breakup. But unfortunately, she never arrived. On April 6, 1975, Melanie Cooley, a high school student, left the grounds of her school and was never seen again. When her body was found, she had been bludgeoned on the back of her head, her hands were tied, and there was a pillowcase around her neck. Uh, There aren't many other details on her specific case. Now, I have another one for April. It's a little fuzzy on the details because, well, that's just the way it is. Denise Lynn Oliverson. Um, she's categorized as a potential victim. Before his death, Ted confessed to killing a girl in Grand Junction, Colorado, which is where Denise went missing from. Um, he said her body was dumped in a river. Unfortunately, Denise's body was never recovered. There was no other evidence linking him to this case. Uh, May 6, 1975, Lynette Culver is abducted from her school playground in Idaho. This is another one um, where he's suspected but not actually connected. They think her murder might be tied to another serial killer, even though Ted was said to have confessed to this one as well. June 28, 1975, Susan Curtis is abducted from the campus of BYU. Sorry about that. Um, Again, few details known. Susan was headed back to her dorm after a formal event, but never made it. Ted confessed to her murder, but no body or no evidence. So, July 1st, 1975, Shelly Robertson disappeared. Body, uh, her body was found in a mine shaft. Very few details, again, with this case. Ted never confessed to her murder, but it's believed that he was her killer. July 4th, 1975. 23-year-old Nancy Baird disappeared from a gas station that she worked at. There's no actual evidence linking Bundy to her murder, but many investigators believe her to be a Bundy victim. Unfortunately, in her case, no body um, was ever found as well. So 8-16-75, that's where he was arrested for the... um, Wow, I can't talk. Arrested for possession of burglary tools at a traffic stop. February 1976. Um, when he was released on bail, blah, 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 all that stuff. He abducts Debbie Smith in Utah. She was 17. She was found about two months after her death near Salt Lake International Airport. It's another one with limited details. So, guys, I have so much paper. Like, seriously, there's a lot of paper. Okay. So, March 1st. Here it is. That's where he was found guilty of aggravated kidnapping in the Carol Durange case. June 30th, he was sentenced to 1 to 15 years in prison. On June 7th, 1977, that's where he escapes from the law library. 
while he was preparing for his case um, for Karen Campbell. I know I talked about this in the last episode, but just wanted to give you an idea of where it fits in. Um, June 13th, 1977, he is apprehended after his escape. Um, December 30th, 1977, he escapes a second time from a jail in Colorado. He flees to Florida. January 14th, 1978, he enters the Chi, that's how you say that, Chi Omega sorority house. I figured it out. Also, thanks, Mom. I detailed um, this attack in the previous episode, so I won't be doing it again. It was bad enough the first time. However, I will remind you that this is where Margaret Bowman and Lisa Levy lost their lives. Um, But we have some other badass survivors, Kathy Kleiner and Karen Chandler. After he left Chi Omega, he attacked Cheryl Thomas in her apartment nearby. She was tall. She was pretty and shy. She came home around 1.30 a.m. to what I believe was a house she shared with others. Um, at about 4 a.m., her neighbor in the house heard what could only be explained as a strange hammering sound. It was said she could feel the vibration that came with the sound through the floor. It felt like the whole house was vibrating. They called Cheryl's phone, um, Debbie, that's the roommate I just mentioned, had woken up her roommate and at this point called Cheryl's phone and it rang five times. There was no answer. Debbie's roommate called out, called the police. Just a minute later, they heard a crashing sound from Cheryl's apartment, which they believed was someone crashing through the kitchen. The police arrived in minutes, thankfully. Um, But Cheryl was found laying in her bed, her face swollen and purple with bruises. She had five skull fractures, left shoulder dislocated, broken jaw, and would have permanent hearing loss and equilibrium issues, but she would survive. Lastly, on February 9th, 1978, Kimberly Ann Leach, sweet 12-year-old, had arrived to her PE class, that's physical education for you non-US people, if you call it something different, I don't know. Um, She realized she left her purse at her homeroom and her teacher allowed her to run back and get it. She initially had gone with a friend, but the friend had forgotten, uh, also forgotten something and had to go get it. Kimberly kept going and when her friend returned, she noticed Kimberly walking off with an adult man. Apparently other witnesses noticed this as well, but assumed perhaps the man was her father, but they did note Kimberly looked upset. She would not return to school or home. Unfortunately, eight weeks later, her body was found by a pig pen. There was evidence of sexual assault, and they suspect she had been strangled, but decomposition made it hard to tell. So, just to reiterate, he had two more trials, one for Margaret Bowman and Lisa Levy, and one for Kimberly Ann Leach. He is found guilty in both cases. He is sentenced to death in both cases. And the death penalty is carried out in 1989. Um, I just want to note that in addition to the bandage survivors I mentioned while I was reading this to you guys, 
there were many other women that stepped up to identify him or testify against him. So even though, you know, they weren't beaten by him or whatever the case may be, they deserve just as much credit for standing up and saying, that's the guy who did it. That's what I saw. Um, so that's it. That's Ted Bundy again. That's the rest of it. Um, also, they just reported Netflix bought Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. So I'm sure we'll be waiting on that. But my God, what a title. Um, so in conclusion, send in your stories to the True Crime Time Instagram. Um, and until next time, lock your doors and windows, people.